So God called Abraham, before he renamed him Abraham, he was Abram, right? Called Abram from the town of Ur and called him to the promised land. And he made a covenant with Abraham. And he said, I will make of your descendants a great nation, right? As numerous as the stars of the sky and the, the sand on the seashore, I'm going to make of your descendants a great nation. So Abraham makes this covenant with God and uh, follows him. And Sarah doesn't get pregnant, doesn't get pregnant, doesn't get pregnant. And he keeps asking God, when is this going to happen? If you're going to make my descendants that numerous, you know, it'd be good if you started sometime soon. Sarah got older and older and older and past, you know, age, the age of childbirth, as it were, you know. And so um, finally she conceives. She bears her son, Isaac. So Isaac is, he's the one. He's the only son, the only beloved son of Abraham. And he's going to be the one that is going to start this great nation, right? That's how it starts. All of this, uh, you know, fruitfulness that's that was promised by the father. And then we have this perplexing story that we heard in the first reading. When God says through, through the angel, God says, take your only begotten son, Isaac, Take him up the mountain and make of him a sacrifice. Kill him. Kill him and burn him. Make him a holocaust to me. That's what it would have been. And so you can imagine Abraham thinking, well, that doesn't make any sense. How? I, we waited for years. This is my only son. You made a covenant with me. And you said that, that, you know, both me and my descendants would be your people and, and you would be our God. How, how could this be? Perplexing indeed. And, and you can imagine the grief that Abraham had. And in the longer version of the story, so he takes Isaac because he trusts God. So he takes Isaac up, up the mountain. And in the longer version, they're gathering sticks and, and wood you know, for the Holocaust. And I mean, if you think about it, you know, Abraham is putting the, Abraham's an old man. He can't carry, he can't carry on his back all of this wood to, to make this great fire to God. So his son has to do it for him. His son who doesn't know what's going to happen. He has to do it for him. So his son is taking, in a sense, his the, the those things which will, be his the Holocaust right those things which will be his own death you know he's carrying them on his back as he goes up the mountain and then as we know the story God through the angel stays Abraham's hand and says don't do it but the whole scene is really still perplexing why would God ask that of Abraham in the first place why would God ask him to do something clearly evil and theologians and philosophers and thinkers throughout the centuries have been perplexed about and, and have interpreted this in many different ways. Okay, so we have that reading. And then we have the reading of the transfiguration. How do those go together? How do they fit? Well, the thing to remember about a lot of these Old Testament events is that there are these, these sort of 
you know, really important events in the life of God's people that they would always remember. This is one of them with, with Abraham and Isaac. Also Moses leading the people out of Egypt, right? That's another one through the Red Sea and into the desert and then the Promised Land. These stories and events were, were you know, so important in the life of the Jews that everybody knew them. Even the children knew these stories. You know, it was on their minds of how God had saved them, how God had stayed Abraham's hand, etc. The point of the Abraham story isn't necessarily about Abraham per se. What God was trying to do was give his people an event and an image that they would remember when the real time came for the only begotten son to be sacrificed. When the time came for the only begotten son to carry the instrument of his death on his back. When the time came for a death of a firstborn that would actually have merits and redeem the world. That's why he gives these, these, these images and realities to his people, because they'll remember that. And then when he sends his son, they're going to say, oh, okay, okay, that we completely understand what God is doing. He's sending his only begotten son as a holocaust, as an offering for sin, so that all of us can be redeemed. And in, in the transfiguration, what's happening is a confirmation that Jesus is that, that person. Because you have, you have Jesus, you know, presumably being lifted up, and then he's glowing, dazzling white, and then you have Moses and Elijah. What are they to represent? Moses represents the law. He got the law from Mount Sinai, right? Moses represents the law, and Elijah, of course, the great prophet. And they're conversing. And what it says to the apostles is it's a confirmation that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that stuff that came before, the law and the prophets. He is the one. He is the long-predicted Messiah. And so they see that. They have that confirmation. They tie it together, and it makes sense. Now it begins to make sense. It doesn't all begin to make sense, but it begins to make sense that he is the Messiah. They don't yet know what that means, that the Messiah would have to die, but they clearly understand that Jesus is the Messiah. And just like Abraham didn't understand what happened to him completely, but people later on understood. So the, the event of the transfiguration got Peter, James, and John saying, you know, completely dumb, dumbfounded, awestruck, afraid. And what's going to happen is immediately after this event, Jesus begins his journey to Jerusalem and to his passion and death. And he gives his apostles this image to strengthen them so that when they see him raised on the cross and when they see him die, of course they, they abandon him, but when they know of his death and they know of, of all that he sacrificed for them, that hopefully they will, they will be strengthened by the vision that they had just seen. And it's only after these events take place, his passion, death, and resurrection, it's only after that that people, okay, well, now it makes sense, and they begin to put it together. So for us then, 
I don't know about you, but it's been a frequent prayer of mine to say something like this. What are you doing? God, what are you doing? I don't know what you're doing. Not just for me or for, you know, but, but for friends or, or family or, you know, the country, the world, the, you know, the whole thing. God, what are you doing? It doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it. And unless I'm the only one, he never tells me. <laughs> he never answers. But I, of course, in my, you know, depending on the state, if it's angst or if it's, if it's fear or if it's anxiety or if it's anger or whatever, you know, I, I want an answer and I think he's going to answer me. He never answers me, you know. But I can look back on my life now because I'm so old, you know. I'm 46, so I'm really old and wizened. <laughs> I say that because it's ridiculous. But anyway, um, so... But now I've got a little bit of history, so I can look back on my adult life and, and, and I have these aha moments where, where now I look back and I say, ah, uh, okay, that makes sense. And I look back at this other thing, oh, well, that makes sense. Or I see it in people's lives, you know, I've worked with so many people over the years, you know, as Catholics, and I sometimes wonder what is God doing in, 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 in their life? And then... You know, you watch the progression over a number of years. Ah, it makes sense. Now it makes sense. The same thing with Abraham, the story of Abraham. Same thing with the, the story of the, the transfiguration. And it's the same thing with our story as well. Each one of us. God is at work. It just doesn't look like it. Or we don't know what he's doing. But when we can look back with eyes of faith, and maybe it's, maybe it's years, decades, we can see what he was up to. Or we can see how he's taking a situation that he didn't create and he's bringing good out of it. You know, he takes, you look back and you see bad decisions that we made and you, you think, well, how did I get out of that? And you see how God worked with that. It's amazing. It's like, it's like uh, anything you give God, he's going to find a way to bring good out of that situation. Our suffering, our sins, our mistakes. God finds a way, if we let him, to bring good out of that, right? Time and time again. Please stand.